Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And this is a Labor Day edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are out here in Berea on Labor Day. The Browns back at practice today after a weekend of cutdowns. Mary Kay, we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to talk about Khalil Mack here right off the bat. Uh, a couple other things, the left tackle situation, which is, is murky. Maybe we'll get into that as well. Um, so before we do, uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, the Apple Podcast Store, which I guess is the same thing as iTunes, so I'm being repetitive there. Spotify, search for us. Um, all of that good stuff and leave us ratings and, and all of that. So Mary Kay, let's start with Khalil Mack. Um, there were rumors flying around really all summer about Mack, and then of course they heated up last week. Uh, they ended up trading, the Raiders did, to the Bears for um, a 2019 first, a 2020 first, a sixth round pick next year, and a 2023rd. And then the Bears also got a 2020 second round pick out of it, and a 2020 conditional fifth round pick. So, all in all, the Bears made out pretty well. They got a future second round pick, and they got Khalil Mack out of the deal. But the question here, of course, is the Browns. So, I know you are on this story uh, especially on Friday as everything was kind of going down. Um, were the Browns in on Khalil Mack at all? You know, they inquired, they they called. I mean, we all know that John Dorsey goes way, way back with Raiders GM Reggie McKenzie. So it would only be natural that these guys would have a conversation. Uh, if you're putting the uh, the best or one of the best defensive players in the NFL out there, uh, for a possible trade. There's no way that John Dorsey is going to pass up an opportunity to, to talk to one of his long, long-time colleagues about that. And the Browns have said they're on record as saying that they will do whatever it takes to try to improve this team. So you have to make that phone call. And it's good that they made that call. Uh, you would expect them to. You would not expect anything less. I don't think it got serious. I think it was an inquiry. I think uh, when they came to realize that they really were looking for something like that, two first-round picks, uh, at that point, it just really wasn't going to happen. In addition to that, you we're going to have to pay Khalil Mack that blockbuster, blockbuster deal that he got from the Bears, which actually topped Aaron Donald's uh, <laughs> deal from the Rams. So I don't really think the Browns were prepared to break the bank in that way either. Yeah, so I've gone back and forth on this as to whether, like, I would have done it if, if I were the Browns and the Raiders called me up and said, hey, this is what the Bears are offering. Can, can you do this? I've gone back and forth because obviously Khalil Mack is – Khalil Mack. We mm-hmm. know how good he is. Right. Um, but then at the same time, first round picks are so valuable anymore with the rookie scale. And, you know, I, I hate to turn into hoarding picks guy, but 
you know, it, it, it would have been a little uncomfortable, I think, to give up two first round picks. So I, I kind of go back and forth, you know, one hour, I'm like, oh, they should have gone after this if it, if it was even on the table for them. And then the next hour, I'm kind of like, you know what, though, those first round picks, you hate to start giving those up. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the only way that you could really justify doing it is if you know for sure that you have your franchise quarterback. If you have your franchise guy in Baker Mayfield and you are positive that you are set for the future at that position, uh, you really could have had an unbelievably dominant defense for many years to come if yeah. you've got Miles Garrett on one side and Khalil Mack on the other side. That, that strikes fear into any opposing offense or offensive coordinator. And them's Super Bowl words. When you start <laughs> to, starting to talk about a defense like that, so if it gets you to the Super Bowl, you know, why not give up the picks? So I probably wouldn't have had a huge problem with it, but I also understand them not going that far. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I think that's why ultimately, if the decision would have been up to me, I probably would have pulled the trigger just because they've drafted a bunch of first, they've drafted a bunch of first round guys and they've already invested first round picks in probably the three most important positions on the field. Pass rusher Miles Garrett, quarterback Baker Mayfield, cornerback Denzel Ward and now you add another elite pass rusher to that mix you've got a ton of cap space I probably would have done that deal but I can certainly see the other side where you look at those first round picks you don't know that's the other part you don't know if this Browns team is going to be four and twelve this year or six and ten or nine and seven so that first round pick next year could end up being a very valuable pick Again, you don't know exactly what you're giving up. It's not like the Browns know for sure they're going to be a playoff team this year. Right, but I think, you know, once you get past needing a quarterback with your first-round pick, it's really hard to nail it. It's really hard uh, to land a world beater once you get down into the 10, 11, 12, 13. It's hard enough to nail it when you're in the top five. (laughs) But once you start to get down into the 12s and the 13s and those kinds of things, uh, it's not a it's not a sure thing. The draft is always a crapshoot. So I think if you do have the opportunity uh, to really land one of the best players in the NFL, I, I probably would have uh, tossed my hat in that ring. Yeah, that's the other question you have to ask yourself: Can I draft Khalil Mack? Yeah, obviously yeah. you're the guy you draft. You're not going to pay that much money to. But Khalil Mack's only 27. He hasn't missed a game. Um, he had he has more career sacks than the Browns had as a team last year. I, I looked it up. He had his forty and a half sacks. The Browns had I think it was thirty two or thirty three last year. Um, was it so, even that many? I thought it was. 26. I think it was in the thirty. Yeah, maybe you're right. I could be. I could have that number wrong. Well, somewhere in that range, it is less than <laughs> Khalil Mack's career sack total. So uh, the Browns certainly could use a player like that, and, and that's why, you know, again, had they done the deal, I'd have been fine with it, and. More often than not, I'm coming back to this. Yeah, that, that's a deal the Browns could have and should have done. But uh, again, I, I also get it. Well, I think maybe more, more so even than the picks, it was the money that they yes. knew that they were going to have to pay. That's where I think they probably said, you know, do we really want to give him – what what did the numbers turn out to be? Um, You've got was, your computer here with us, but it was I thought I wrote it down somewhere. Something like uh, so. Schefter reported it as six years, one hundred forty-one million, with ninety million in guarantees. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Okay, so I think that could have had as much to do with it as giving up the turf, two first-round picks. I probably would have given up the two first-round picks because once again, over the next two years, you know, can you hope to land? 
you know, one of the best defensive players in the NFL with those two first-round picks. Are you what, – what you can get with those two picks, will it add up to Khalil Mack? I mean, look, the Browns yeah. just ushered another first-round pick out the door in Corey Coleman. He's out of football right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, like, it's such a crapshoot in drafting. Yeah, and, and you've got to get known known players. You don't know what these future firsts are going to be. No. We, I mean, we've seen that over the last two years alone, let alone even before that. Yep. You just never know – it's really great to sit here in September and say, oh, man, that first-round pick, that's going to be this player or this player. But you just never know. You know what Khalil Mack is. He's a, he's a known quantity. Exactly. And, yeah, I, I think that I would have uh, – I probably would have done it, Dan. I probably would have because I think that this is a team right now that really needs to roll the dice. Just in the same way that I would have given up uh, – I would have given up the farm for Jimmy Garoppolo back in the day I remember that (laughs) well yeah I was on record as saying that but I mean I would have done that because the picks like you said the picks you don't know what those picks are going to be but if you have a a proven commodity that can change your team and get you to a championship level go for it yeah well it, it would have been fun to watch and of course you know what this all goes back to the Browns and Ray Farmer not picking Khalil Mack back in oh, 2014. Yeah. Uh, they they could have had him then, and, and then instead they traded down and then traded back up and ended up with Justin Gilbert. You know, I mean, really, how does that happen? How do you have an opportunity to choose and to draft a potentially, you know, world-beater, generational player in Khalil Mack, and you end up with Justin Gilbert, <laughs> who is out of football and a tremendous bust? Now, if they had just done their due diligence and really looked into him, they would have realized way, way, way back then that Justin Gilbert was a train wreck and should never have been drafted. So that that's a major setback. That draft, they could have had Khalil Mack and Derek Carr. Instead, they ended up with Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. And these are the reasons why the Browns are in the shape that they're you in. You know, right it, it goes back to when you have a high draft pick, just pick a good player. Don't right. overthink it. Just pick a good player. I mean, we'll revisit 2016 here shortly when we talk about this roster cutdown. But 2016, Carson Wentz was there. Jalen Ramsey was there. Zeke Elliott was there. Joey Bosa was there. Yep. I mean, I just, I just listed four players who yep. are some of the best players in the NFL. And instead, you traded down for a bunch more picks and ended up with Corey Coleman out of that first round. You still don't have a ton to show for that trade. You know, no. Just stay in a spot and pick a player. Yeah, and, you know, even today, again, just listening to, uh, you know, NFL radio and some different things, they still talk about, or I think it was uh, NFL Network this morning, still talking about Carson Wentz as the Eagles believing wholeheartedly that he is like their Aaron Rodgers, that, <laughs> that he will, as long as he's healthy, have them in contention year after year after year that's that's a tough thing to overcome now of course if baker mayfield turns out to do the same thing yeah then they'll be okay but you cannot always count that there's going to be a baker mayfield coming down the pike in the near future exactly there's a lot of hopes being pinned on mayfield um which which he could do it we've seen it this preseason he just might be the guy that makes everybody here at least forget about carson wentz um all right so let's get to this weekend the browns uh very aggressive in changing over this roster um a bunch of new players on the roster i believe it was uh what was it john dorsey said 31 new players um a huge percentage of the roster turned over first of all on saturday uh and then sunday with the waiver claims um what was the most surprising cut to you what was 
what was the name that you saw that you thought, huh, I, I didn't see that coming? You know, I really think it would almost have to be Jamie Meter. Yeah, I agree. Right? I think it would have to be Jamie Meter because they spoke so highly of him in the preseason. At one point, I think Greg Williams called him the best, one of the best run stoppers in the NFL. They Wasn't it something really, like that? They really talked him up in the spring. Yeah, they really, really did. And he, you know, he was just a solid guy. Uh, you know, also a hometown guy, good for the team, good solid player. Started a bunch of games last year, and um, and he was actually in the starting lineup all this year mm-hmm. with Trevon Coley for most of the the preseason. So. Um, he was one of the ones that I thought, you know, that I was a little bit surprised about. But once again, what, what people around here also have to realize is just because you're on this team and in a starting role doesn't mean that there's not somebody better out there. It, it means that there just hasn't been a lot of depth on this football team. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, I, a lot of times I hear, you know, the people talking about, well, Sashi Brown's players are in the starting lineup and they're here and they're on the roster. It doesn't mean that, that they're great players, Okay. It means that for right now, the Browns just don't have anybody better. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've seen that over and over again um, with guys. I mean, they kept Carl Nassib initially. Right. And then he was gone for a waiver claim because they wanted to upgrade on the defensive line. I, I do think part of this was probably the way um, Larry Ogunjobi played in place of Coley. Yeah. Because now he can slide over and start next to Coley in place of meter. So he probably at least gave them enough... Uh, when he was playing with Coley out, he probably gave them enough reason to say, you know what, I don't know that we need to keep Jamie Meter around. There's a couple other guys that we like. You know, Carl Davis is a guy that, that they brought in from Baltimore. There's other guys that we like along the defensive line uh, that we can bring in and, and play. Yeah, and I, I think that um, I think that's what happened. I think they went out and they really restocked the defensive line, and I think that that's what they were trying to say is, yeah, some of these guys might stick around, but it doesn't mean – that they're good enough to play for the Cleveland Browns or for, or in the NFL in some cases even. Uh, so, you know, you have to be a little bit careful about what we've been looking at here for the couple for the past couple of years. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, just that just because they were in the starting lineup here or a number two here that they were all that. And now, you know, they're doing everything they can to upgrade this roster. And again, there's only there are only 17 players left from all those draft picks over the past two years and all that opportunity to add free agents and all that money, there's only 17 players from the last two seasons that were acquired in the Sashi Brown regime. 31 of 53 new players, 59% from last year's yeah. roster. And, and there would be more. You know, you just can't build Rome in a day. You yeah. know what I mean? There would be more if they had an opportunity to, and there will be more, I think. There will be a few more. I mean, they have to see how things go in the first few weeks of the season, but there could be other guys in the bottom of this roster from those two years that will also be gone. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. NFL rosters are never – they're never really set, but especially this early in the season, the churn on the bottom of that roster is fast. I mean, teams just fly through guys. Yes. Um, I I think the only other surprise, or at least the other surprise that stood out to me, was that they kept four tight ends – and that the fourth tight end was Orson Charles. Yeah, I did not see that coming. I guess, you know, I just really hadn't been paying too, too much attention to Orson Charles this camp, although, you know, maybe I should have. But um, I think the fact that Seth Devolve missed most of camp with the quad injury gave rise to, to Orson Charles getting some reps and getting in there and, and showing them that he deserved at least a spot early on in the season. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe he can, you know, play a little fullback. 
Um, and yeah. maybe that's that's a big piece of it because they don't have a, a true fullback on the roster now with Danny Vitale right. um, getting moved to injured reserve. Um, so, so they don't have a fullback, and this is an offense and an offensive coordinator in Todd Haley that likes to have a fullback. So, so maybe that's a piece of that as well. Um, let's see. As far as surprises go, let's talk about left tackle. Yep. Because that, we heard from Joel Batonio today, and we also heard from Hugh Jackson, who did not want to tip his hand as to who he was going to start at left tackle. But uh, it could be now Desmond Harrison, the undrafted free agent. Uh, he could be playing left tackle. Joel Batonio could be playing left guard. Austin Corbett likely would be your sixth, uh, your sixth man now on that line. This is about as big a surprise as you could have, aside from maybe Hugh Jackson coming out and saying, I'm going to start Baker Mayfield on Sunday. This, this one is, is right up there as far as last-minute changes that, that maybe we didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, it's late in the game to be thinking that you are going to shake up the left side of your offensive line heading into the Steelers game where they've got uh, the number 5 defense from last year coming to town. You've got Cam Hayward, uh, the defensive end who had 12 sacks last year, and all of a sudden now you're going to be shaking up the line. But uh, like Hugh Jackson said, has said all along, he's going to put the best five out there. And if he thinks right now that Austin Corbett isn't one of the best five, then he has to make some changes. And that change could entail Desmond Harrison, an undrafted rookie, stepping in at left tackle, the all-important position of left tackle, and then Joel stepping back over to left guard where he feels more comfortable anyways. Uh, so these guys rave about Desmond Harrison. If he had not missed the first two weeks of camp with a toe injury, this could have happened earlier, but he was set back by the toe. Greg Robinson was set back by a concussion, and they really almost had no choice but to put Joel Batonio over at left tackle and see if they couldn't get him ready to start the season there. Now the decision is, and Hugh Jackson basically said he already knows what the decision is, uh, do they throw Desmond Harrison in there against the Steelers, or do they wait a week or two and, and give, you know, give Joel a chance to do what he's been doing? most of camp, and that is starting at left tackle next to left guard Austin Corbett. Yeah, this is just, this is a really uncomfortable situation, I think. I I mean, I think if, honestly, if this ends up on Wednesday, Hugh Jackson coming out and saying Desmond Harrison is going to be my starting left tackle, I think this is a big question. I I think this is a big, like, kind of what what exactly are you doing here moments for Hugh Jackson, because this is, we're going to be, keeping track of all of these things as the season goes along. Uh, any sort of decision he makes, anything like that, it's going to be scrutinized. And again, he's 1-31. in 31. That's going to happen. And I think this is going to be one of those ones where you're like, you just spent a whole camp with Joel Batonio at left tackle, and now a few days before the Steelers game, you're shuffling your line like this? It seems, it seems a little risky. Well, you know, they've watched the film. They have studied the film. And they have really been poring over this and trying to decide what to do. And obviously some things came to light that showed them that they might not have had the best five combo out there. Now the thing about an offensive line is they have to be working in concert. They have to be working well together. They have to have their mojo down. Um, But once again, if you have a weak link, a really weak link on the line, the Steelers are going to find it. Okay, They're going to find it and they will exploit it. They'll put some of their best people on whoever isn't doing the job and obviously, you know, try to crush that person. And they're pretty solid from center all the way over to the right side. Although, you know, Chris Hubbard is new and Kevin Zeitler has been out most of camp with a calf injury. But as long as he's healthy, he comes in and stabilizes that over there. They should be fine there. But the other side, they have to get it down. They have to get it right. 
Now, one of the good things about it is that they have a mobile quarterback. And Tyrod Taylor can escape trouble with his legs. But, you know, he's he's also human. And, you know, he <laughs> has to have some good protection. You know, he's going to have to stand back there in the pocket and throw the ball from the pocket. Uh, but he, he can move around, so that will help them. Still, you're right. This this is a big this is a big deal to go into the Steelers game. I mean, everything has has been so geared to beating the Steelers, and now to go into that game and not really be 100 percent certain who your starting five is, it, it is a little risky. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I don't love is you know I mean let's let's be fair. If Sashi Brown picked a player at number 33 and he was not starting at either tackle or guard, I think we'd probably be pretty critical of that move. So I, th- I think, you know, to be fair, you got to – obviously long-term is how you have to view these picks, but, I, you know, it's disappointing if the number 33 overall pick isn't starting on the offensive line week one. Well, but think of it this way, Dan. When you looked back to when Joel Batonio came in and started right away at left guard when he was a rookie, he had a Hall of Fame left tackle next that to him. That is true. And, and a pretty good center. Yes. Possible Hall of Fame center next to him as exactly. well. Exactly. So they sandwiched him in there between two amazing players. And that can cover up a lot of ills. But what you're asking Austin Corbett to do is step in there next to a left tackle who doesn't feel 100% confident playing that, playing that position. Joel Batonio told us right from the very start that he did not want to move out to left tackle. He did not feel comfortable out there, and he feels like it's almost he's being exposed over there. So then you put him at left tackle, and you put a rookie next to him right there, and the left side of the line could look a little bit shaky. So it's basically a matter of strengthening one position and getting it really, really solid so that he can almost help Desmond Harrison a little to know where he needs to be and kind of coach him up, up a little bit. And then you can chip. If you put a really good blocking tight end over there, and, you would, know, you, would you have in Darren Fells? Yeah, you get Darren Fells over there. You chip with him a little bit. You help does you help Desmond Harrison out. At least you know that then you've got one super solid, can't miss left guard at the position that he is comfortable at. So I'm sure some of these things go into the thinking as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, you know the other the other piece of it too is Batonio, like you said, Batonio wants to play guard. Right. I mean, like, he's being a team player, and he's playing tackle, and maybe if he were to put in a season at tackle, he'd say, hey, you know what, I can handle this. But right now, every time anyone talks to him, it is, I want to play guard. And I even asked him last week, you know, in five years, are we talking about Joel Batonio the tackle or Joel Batonio the guard? And he said, you know, I think guard. That's his preferred position. Right, and, you know, when he was talking today about Desmond Harrison, and when Hugh Jackson was talking about Desmond Harrison – even Joel Batonio said he is the most athletic lineman that we have on the team. He is the prototypical left tackle yeah. at 6'6", 295. Uh, he has the body for it. He has the athleticism for it. Now, does he have the experience at it? No. Now, people think of him as some undrafted rookie. Maybe they don't even know about him. But he, he did come out of Texas. Okay, He had some issues uh, where he had to transfer from Texas to West Georgia. But if he had stayed at Texas and didn't have whatever issues he had that caused him to have to transfer, he could have been a high draft pick. He may have been a high draft pick. Um, but from a talent standpoint, I think the Browns are still seeing that in him, the things that made him uh, able to play at a school like that and play at a fairly high level. All right, so that is our uh, our look at the left tackle, the roster cut down, Khalil Mack, 
Uh, did we miss? I don't think we missed anything from today. Josh Gordon was back. Josh Gordon's so that's back. That's big. He's that not going to start. Um, what does that mean? He's not going to start. Have we figured that out yet? Well, I think basically what it means is he hasn't been here. He hasn't practiced. Let's reward the guys that have been here. That means Antonio Callaway will be in the starting lineup. I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world, uh, you know, if they felt Josh Gordon was ready. Uh, I don't think philosophically you need to really keep him out of the starting lineup. I just think from a, you know, physical standpoint and from knowing the offense and from getting reps in practice, that's the reason. Not because, I mean, you can't have it both ways. If he went to go get help and everybody is proud of him for that, then you don't keep him out of the starting lineup because he raised his hand and said, I need to go get some help, okay? We're talking about a disease. You wouldn't keep somebody out of the starting lineup if they had cancer treatment and they came back. Um, So I I don't think it's that. (laughs) I think it is the fact that he just has not been here and that he needs to get up to speed. He had a tweaked hamstring last week, so he hasn't even practiced with the team. He's just going to be practicing now. That gives him a little bit of Monday, which this is not a full practice. That gives him Wednesday, Thursday and Friday to prepare for the Steelers. I kind of see the wisdom in it. All right. So uh, before we go, I, I know you aren't going to let me get away with this. I'm not. Without telling this story. So I'm not. With, Let's with do it. Carl Nassib, um, with Carl Nassib out the door, um, I want to tell a, a Carl Nassib story. Okay. Um, I have so one too. His rookie year, right? That year, him and Emmanuel Ogba were the big additions on the line. And the Browns had their first preseason game. I think it was Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as, as these preseason games go, you're always trying to find little stories here and there. And, okay, what's, you know, what are people talking about? So, for me, one of the things I wanted to do was talk to Agba and Nassib. Mm-hmm. The first game, I think they might have both gotten a sack in that game or something like that. They had both done something in that game. So, I go talk to Emmanuel Agba. Wait a minute. I have to interrupt you for a quick second. At this point, Tom Reed was still covering the Browns, um, wasn't he, or was he not? No, I think this might have been my first this year. This was your first year, okay. I think this was my first year replacing Tom. Okay, well, this is an important piece of information. Yeah, I, I, Dan's first year replacing Tom. Remember right. this. So, this was 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, go down to the locker room. These visitor locker rooms are always cramped, no matter what. And then when there's 90 guys in there, yeah. sometimes you can't even walk. Right. Um, so, anyway, I, I go up to Carl, and I say... You know, trying to be respectful, you let him get dressed and all of that. It's really awkward in a, in a locker room. Oh, yeah. It's incredibly awkward. Uh, so I let him get dressed, and I, th- I say, hey, Carl, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? And he looks at me, and he holds out his arm, and he says, yeah, but you have to button these first. <laughs> so I had to button his sleeve, his sleeve buttons. Yeah. And then he did the interview for me. Yeah. So I look over, you know, and there's Dan. First, uh, you know, preseason, whatever. With his first year on the job as, you know, number two beat writer of the yeah. Cleveland Browns, buttoning Carl Nassib's button. So, this, the next week, I think it was the next week, whatever, it was the next road game. Mm-hmm. So, it was, it was either the next week or the week after. I believe we were in Tampa. And, again, the locker room is tight. There's still 90 guys or whatever. Maybe, maybe this was one of the years where you cut down to 75. It was still a very crowded locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there was someone else I wanted to talk to who was not Carl Nassib. <laughs> So I, I go, and again, you know, standing there, you want to be respectful, let him get dressed, you know, whatever. So as I'm standing there waiting, yeah, you know, I, I make eye contact with the person I want to talk to, and I say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you when you're ready. Say, yeah, okay. <laughs> Carl, on the other side of the aisle, yeah, looks at me, mm-hmm. and again, holds out his arm and says, can you button this for me? 
And so for the second straight road game, yeah, buttoning Carl Nassib's yeah. shirt sleeves. Second straight road game, I look over, and there's our trusted Dan Lobby buttoning Carl's sleeves. That was the last time it happened. It didn't happen after that. Um, there was no discussion like, hey, Carl, I think this might be a little inappropriate. There was nothing. But the people who are seeing Carl Nassib's personality now yeah. on Hard Knocks, there were little glimpses here and there. And that was that, that weird little two or three week stretch for yeah. he, I mean, for some reason, I was targeted by Carl as yeah. the person to button up his sleeves. Yeah, so. we were all, almost going to have to fine you from uh, the kangaroo court for buttoning the shirt sleeves. So yeah. I have a little Carl Nassib story, too. It's okay. not as good as that one. But uh, what fans are seeing, uh, this very funny personality of Carl Nassib, well, we never got to see that after, uh, after was it the first game of his? It was his? pretty early on. It was, it, was after were, the, were, it was after the buttons. After the buttons, but weren't they opening against the Eagles? Yes. They were opening against the Eagles and Carson Wentz. So we talked to Carl Nassib the week before the game. And we asked him, I don't know, I may have asked the question. I think I asked the question. Maybe. I asked the question about Carl, about Carson Wentz. And Carl Nassib said, well, we've noticed that he has a little bit of a slower release, and we plan to take advantage of that, which I think was the quote. Well, of course, he's a rookie at this time, really probably not realizing quite exactly the impact of his words. You know, he's no longer at Penn State. This is, you know, the big boy league now. And uh, and so he, you know, he said that. And are you finding it right now? I am. I'm looking for the story. Okay, I found, good. I found a, somebody aggregated our sister site here. So uh, I'm actually, I think I didn't even use go. it as my first note. I did not put a headline on it because I realized that he probably didn't re- quite realize exactly what he was saying. And, um, and that, you know, I didn't want to make a huge, huge deal out of it. Right? Is that it? So Carl Nassib, yes, I found the quote. Okay. Um, Carl Nassib says, quote, he can run, he has good mobility, and he's got a good arm. His release is a little slow, so we plan to take advantage of that. Okay. So, you know, the eventual Super Bowl winner, uh, not Super Bowl winner, but uh, the guy that almost took the Eagles to the Super Bowl last year before he blew out the ACL, the guy that was up for league MVP (laughs) last year. But this was before he had played a game. That's true. So anyways, Carl said that. And again, you can see here that I use it as my second note, and was, I didn't make a huge deal out of it. Yeah. Well, Carl took a lot of grief for that. The Eagles, of <laughs> course, caught wind of this. This becomes bulletin board material. And after that, that was basically it. Car- I don't. I think Carl did one more really bizarre and weird interview with us after that. Remember that one? He did the one about um, when everyone was asking him about um, what he listened to pregame. Yeah. And it was actually, if you go back and watch, it's actually a kind of funny interview okay. uh, because just the way he's answering the questions, he's very dry. And right. It was, it was kind of a funny interview. But um, somebody, I, I think I remember who, but I won't say just because I don't know if that's who it was. Carl said something about listening to Eminem okay. in his pregame. Yeah. And someone heard that as like M&M's, not the rapper M&M's. Oh, no. <laughs> and tried to clarify it as, oh, so you eat M&M's? Oh, no. So really, the, the, the whole 
you know, everything was. Uh, oh, was I don't. I don't want to say rocky because that makes it sound bad, but everything was just always awkward <laughs> between the local beat here and, and Carl. And, and I'm glad at least people got to see some personality from him in, in this hard knocks. Yeah, because he could have been funny and he could have been a really great quote, but he basically shut down on us after the uh, after the Carson Wentz quote. And I at one point went up to him after that and I just said are you kind of shutting down on us because of that? And he said, yep, I learned my <laughs> lesson. So the next time we got to see Funny Carl really was on Hard Knocks. Yeah, and, uh, it, you know, that was, <laughs> that's life on uh, on the beat and going in the locker room and talking to guys and, you know. Yep, those are some <laughs> uh, little slices of the beat that we will be sharing with you this year it's always it's always interesting yeah we're, we're stocking up on some travel stories and things like that so this is and you know the good thing is this should be a fun team this year i don't know what the final record is going to be but this should be a fun team there's some good personalities on this team um we're actually going to get to write about some wins yep um the team is going to be in a better mood uh you know last year these guys didn't want us in their space. They were winless, and it was just a really difficult year for all involved. Um, and this year, I think it should be a, a little better. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be better. And there's also some really good personalities, like you mentioned, like you know, Jarvis Landry should be good for some things. Demarius Randall should be good for some good quotes and some good stories. So I think there will be a lot. But you know what we forgot to mention, Uh-oh. and I think we should throw this in there, is Corey Coleman got cut by the bill by the bills yes let's and go back to that. let's let's revisit that because you know i think that john dorsey may have taken a little bit of grief for trading him away for a seventh round pick in 2020 well the bills even though they had to have to pay him 3.5 million dollars <laughs> over the next two and seasons don't have a lot of other receivers they have nothing they cut him they cut him and he is not with anybody right now and you know with, with Corey, it just it goes back to first of all you drafted this guy yeah and there's talent there but you didn't give him an opportunity to learn and and a lot of it's on him yeah but you also put guys like kenny Britt around him right you know we talk about that locker room dynamic you put a guy like kenny Britt next to a guy with a questionable attitude like Corey coleman and the two of them got sent home from houston for a curfew violation yeah you've got to give these guys something around them that these young guys, something around them that they can kind of grow and develop. And we're seeing that, again, this is where Hard Knocks has been great. Right. What does Todd Haley tell Jarvis Landry all the time? Right. He's got to set an example. He wants Antonio Callaway to live with him. Right. I, I mean, there's that's what you bring a guy like that in for. Well, think about it. I mean, Todd Haley coached Antonio Brown, who actually is mentoring Antonio yep. Callaway, right? So, you know, he wants Jarvis to play that role. He has said, hey, you know, Larry Fitzgerald would have done it. Um, <laughs> so, but I remember talking to some of the Bills people when they were in town, and I knew right then, just days after Corey had been traded him, the bloom was off the rose. They were, they were not happy with him. They did not like his attitude. They did not like uh, the things that he said about what went wrong here. Um, and it just never got any better. And look, I mean, it's just he's out on the street now, and that was the first pick in the Carson Wentz Hall. And I just don't think that you, when you're doing a rebuild, that you start with a smallish receiver as your first-round draft pick. So, anyways. From, from a place like Baylor, too. Yeah. Where – the offense is not complicated. This wasn't a guy running right. a pro, you know, not not that there's a ton of guys that do that in college, but Baylor is a very oversimplified right. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I remember when they first drafted him, the questions were about route trees. Right. Like, can, can you run NFL routes? And, and nobody really knew the answer to that question. Right. So, yeah, that was an interesting um, development over the weekend that he, uh, a former first-round pick in 2016, it's another Browns first-round pick, you know, that's just, that didn't pan out. Now, maybe, maybe he'll get it together and, and revive his career somewhere, but he goes into the, the X-Files with the Justin Gilberts and the Johnny Manziels for right now. Yeah, and as of uh, recording this at 4 o'clock on Labor Day, He's still unsigned. No one claimed him. Yeah, that's Nothing. that's pretty he's incredible. Still, he's still not signed. Okay, well, that will do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Um, leave us reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Search for Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Um, again, you know, we're going to try and do these a couple times a week. We'll try and get a preview one out here before the Steelers game, hopefully, and then we'll do some post-game podcasts as well. And uh, I mean, if you guys like hearing the stories about stuff that goes on while we're traveling around trying to cover this team we'd we'd love to keep telling them you just gotta let us know in the comments and let us know on uh in in your reviews so uh i think that's everything mary Kay. sounds good thanks for listening everybody